The greatest week in human history was the week that started with Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, and it ended with His triumphal exit from a borrowed tomb. The facts are thoroughly documented in both secular and biblical literature. Jesus was born, He lived, He died, but here's the thing. He rose from the dead never to die again. And today, over 8,000 of us have assembled at Ford Center in southwest Indiana to celebrate His resurrection with over 2 billion more Christians worldwide. Now, normally, normally for me, the greatest challenge in preparing to speak each week is nailing down what I call the big idea. But finding the one compelling truth that would impress the reality and the significance of the resurrection, that was not difficult. I found it in the eyewitness accounts of Matthew and Mark and Luke. Mark quoted the angel who rolled away the stone and sat on it. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Mark cited the same source. He has risen. He is not here. Luke recorded it this way. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. So here's my message in a single exclamatory statement on this Easter morning, 2014. He has risen. Now, first century Christ followers would routinely greet each other this way, and the response would be, He is risen indeed. So let's try that. Let's rattle the rafters with this powerful truth. I will say, He has risen, and you say, He has risen indeed. Are you ready? He has risen. Again, He has risen. One more time, He has risen. So you may ask, what does that mean to me? Well, the answer is revealed in John chapter 20, where we have three back-to-back -back stories of resurrection appearances by Jesus. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to the disciples, minus Thomas, and then He appeared to Thomas Himself. And we discover some important truths in these appearances. First of all, we discover that because He is risen, we don't have to be sad. John chapter 20, verse 11, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. She wept. She bent over to look into the tomb. And someone has said the stone was rolled away from the entrance of the tomb not to allow Jesus to get out, but to allow us to look in. And when Mary looked in, she wept. She was shedding tears of loss and hopelessness, tears of despair and grief. Jesus had cast out her demons. He had forgiven her. He was the one solely responsible for the love and joy and peace in her life. And she had witnessed his miracles. She had grown from his teaching. She believed his promises, but now he was dead, and for Mary Magdalene, the world had become a very 
cruel place, a place of unfulfilled dreams and deep disappointments. And now, to make matters worse, she assumed that someone had stolen the body of Jesus. No wonder she was sad. But in her moment of brokenness, Jesus appeared to her and called her by name Mary. And she recognized his voice. And she turned to him and she cried out, Teacher, in that instant, in that instant, her sadness turned to gladness. Her grief turned to joy. Why? Because she realized he is risen. He is risen indeed. I wonder if you've ever felt what Mary felt that day. Deep sorrow, relentless grief. Maybe for you it's the loss of a mate by death or divorce. Maybe it's alienation from a son or a daughter. Maybe it's estrangement from a sibling, a terminal diagnosis, sexual abuse, financial ruin, a crippling accident, PTSD, a job termination, a learning disability. The list is long. The list is long of things that could infuse our lives with sadness, even depression. And in such seasons of life, some will despair and say, God is dead. There is no hope. It is true that grief can lure you away from God. But listen, it is in such times that Jesus will draw near. So don't try to go it alone. There are several phrases people use when they're trying to cope with sadness on their own. They'll tell themselves, just get over it. Be strong. Move on. It is what it is. But Mary Magdalene did not succumb to such fatalism. She recognized the presence of Jesus. She revered him as her teacher. She took hold of him. She held on to him. And in her overflowing joy, she ran to tell the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and the risen Lord can dispel the darkness in your life today. That one-on-one moment that Mary had with Jesus, it also belongs to you. So don't resign yourself to perpetual sadness. Don't be overcome by hopelessness or discouragement. In the early 1920s in communist Russia, Nikolai Bukharin was sent from Moscow to Kiev to address an anti-God rally. For one hour, he verbally maligned the name of Jesus. He ridiculed the Christian faith until the mood in the arena was one of darkness and despair. When he finished, a young Greek Orthodox priest stood, faced the people, and shouted the Easter greeting, He has risen! Instantly, thousands of Christians in the assembly rose to their feet and shouted back loud and clear, He is risen indeed! Well, it's also relevant for us to know on this Easter morning that because He has risen, we don't have to be afraid John chapter 20, verse 19, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw 
the Lord. Now the disciples had locked themselves in. The fear that caused them to abandon Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was even more intense that resurrection night. They had seen Jesus crucified. Would they be next? But as soon as Jesus appeared and showed them his nail-scarred hands and his riven side, they believed. They believed the miracle of the resurrection, and they were instantly, immediately overjoyed. John Stott, one of the leading theologians in the world until his death in 2011, wrote in his book, The Contemporary Christian, perhaps the transformation in the disciples is the greatest evidence of all for the resurrection. When Jesus died, they were heartbroken, confused, and afraid, but they came out of hiding, full of joy, confidence, and courage, ready to die for their faith. How can you account for this dramatic change? Only the resurrection. Extreme fear can be an all-consuming emotion. This past week was the first anniversary of the bombing that took place at the Boston Marathon. I watched the video of the tragedy replaying, and I noticed something that I had not noticed last year when it actually happened. I saw it on the anguished faces. I heard it in the panicked voices of those who were in proximity to the bombs that fateful day. It looked like the same expressions I had seen on the soot-streaked faces of people who were running from the 9-11 bombing of the World Trade Center in New York in 2001. It was wrong unrestrained fear, sheer terror. And it's likely that some of you in this room have personally experienced extreme fear. Or maybe it's right here with you today, just below the surface. It may be the fear of being exposed for some secret sin. It might be anxiety about the arrival of your new baby after a difficult pregnancy. It might be that you're worried about the results of a recent biopsy. It could be that you're troubled about the announcements of layoffs in the workplace. It could be the dread of bankruptcy or foreclosure. It could be the threat of losing your kids in a child custody dispute. Fear. Fear is the arch enemy of a peaceful, joyful life. But when you are convinced that Jesus has arisen, that he is alive forevermore, then you can come out of your fear into inexpressible joy. Of course, the ultimate fear is the fear of losing your life. And that was the plight of the disciples that resurrection evening behind those locked doors. And I've wa watched this same fear of death surface in more than one life through the years. But we need not fear death because he has risen. He has risen indeed. Jesus is the only one who ever promised. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And when you get this, when you put your trust in the risen Lord, like the disciples, you will be overjoyed. Well, finally, because he's risen, we don't have to live with doubt. John chapter 20, verse 25, 
Thomas said to the other disciples, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Jesus came and stood among them and said to Thomas, pull your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And once again, you see this dramatic, instantaneous reversal of unbelief. Listen, Mary's sadness was displaced by excitement when she heard the voice of Jesus. The disciples' fear was displaced by courage when they experienced the presence of Jesus. And Thomas's doubt was displaced by deep personal faith when he experienced the touch of Jesus. One minute Thomas is speaking with conviction about his disbelief. The next he is on his knees before Jesus and he is professing his deity. So how do you account for this instant elimination of his doubts? His senses were satisfied. He heard Jesus, he saw Jesus, he touched Jesus. And his rational mind was convinced, he has risen. He has risen indeed. Listen, my friends, you do not have to turn off your brain to be a Christ follower. There are answers for all your doubts. So like Thomas, release your faith. Once and for all, renounce your doubts. Can you personalize this command from Jesus this Easter? Stop doubting and believe. Are you ready to take your place alongside Thomas to say, my Lord and my God? Like Mary, have you heard the voice of Jesus today? Like the disciples, have you experienced the presence of Jesus today? Like Thomas, have you had a touch from Jesus today? We want this Easter to make a difference in your life, in your family, because he has risen. We want you to rise, to live a life that is second to none, a life without perpetual sadness, a life without fear, a life without doubt. If you'll respond in a couple of ways to the invitation of Jesus and to the invitation of his church at Crossroads. First, if you're interested in becoming a follower of Jesus, like most of the thousands represented in this room, will you take time before you leave today to tear off that connection card in the little booklet you were handed when you come in. Fill out that connection card, and before you leave this morning, drop that at the Welcome Center at the main entrance. And then you're invited to Crossroads for a class called Starting Point. Next Saturday night after church at 6 45. And if that time, that day and time are not good for you, no worries. We will follow up with you. Just fill out that connection card, drop it at the Welcome Center as you exit today. And right now, right now, I want to identify several hundred 
people in our assembly who are all a part of our network of small groups that meet in homes throughout our community. And I want to ask them right now to rise. And I want you to notice as the lights come up, I want you to notice that they're all holding signs that tell a little bit about their group. Now, as you look around and see these people who are standing with their signs up in the air, you may recognize some of these folks, or you may relate to something that is written on their sign. If you're a guest today, we want you to know that for the next four weeks, we're totally building our weekend services around your questions, around your topics that you texted to us today. And we also want to invite you to experience one of our small groups for the next four weeks. These next four weeks, all of our small groups will be following the same topics that we are using in our four weekend services. Folks, guests, we are opening our homes to you. We are opening our hearts to you and to your family, because at Crossroads, it's just true. We mean it when we say it. You're not just welcome. You are wanted. So let me pray. And as we're blessed by a final message in song, I want to invite you to move to one of these people holding up a sign and exchange your contact information. Will you stand with me as we pray? And then while you hear the song, you just feel free to move to one of these people holding a sign, exchange contact information. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that the impact of this Easter weekend would not be superficial. It would not just be a rally that brings us all together then we separate and go our own ways. Lord, we pray that there would be many people integrated into our faith community through our small groups, through our weekend worship. We pray, Father, that we would meet needs to speak to people about the dish, deep issues of life, the things that matter most, the unseen things, the things that will endure for eternity. And so we thank you for this mountaintop experience this morning and for the opportunity not only to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, but to connect with one another in Christian community. In Jesus' name, amen.